0: Over the years, we've seen paths to a title go a ton of ways in MMA. Fast tracks due to stardom, extremely slow ones tragically because of a lack of popularity, last-minute replacements, you guys know the deal. But for each one of these today, we're talking about some truly strange roads that absolutely break all the norms, and with recent news of a certain fighter getting their first title shot, well, we just had to look into this one a little bit more. I'm Jason from MMA on Point and Baylen... No, 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 I'm doing this video. Wait, no, oh. I'm Balian from MMA on point.
1: Sorry, Tom, are you shaving?
0: Yeah, but I mean, mate, you're doing it over
1: there as well. Yeah, so. but I'm not on camera. This video is brought to you by Manscaped, the global leader in men's grooming and hygiene. Manscape offers you the best tools to take care of the three important odour zones, your body, your butt and your balls. You can get yourself the 4.0 Performance Package. It comes with the Lawn Mower, which is a waterproof trimmer with advanced skin-safe technology, which is going to reduce nicks and cuts on even the most sensitive of regions. Go to Manscaped.com today and get 20% off, as well as free international shipping and your free gifts with the code MMAOnPoint. Manscaped. Use the right tools for the right job. And take care of your knob.
0: Well, that was awkward. These are the 10 weirdest paths to a UFC title number ten, Juliana Pena. Despite the way things looked for her in her first title shot, where fans heavily doubted Pena against Nunes, yeah, but the reality is, uh... is that
1: UFC 200, you said you
0: would find me in the press conference, and you still have not. You but lost. This is something. This. this has been something that's been brewing since UFC 200. People forget how much of a prospect she initially was. She won her season on Tough, showing that she was a great grappler, and also didn't get too distracted by Ronda Rousey constantly flipping off Misha Tate. From there, her UFC career got. to a good start with a four fight win streak including beating the last person to beat nunez in kat zinganu Uh uh-oh i see a bit of foreshadowing here but then she ran into Valentina Shevchenko. Tough break. Combine that with her taking two years off to have her daughter and then losing to GDR not long after her return, it felt like her initial hype train was pretty much ancient history by this point. So naturally, it looked like she wouldn't be fighting for a title anytime soon. She would get a win against Sarah McMahon, but you know, it's only one win and set her at just 2-2 two and two in her last four fights. McMahon was also ranked 9 in the division, so it wasn't exactly the kind of thing you would expect for someone to get a number one contender slot. That might be because in part she was actually first scheduled to fight Holly Holm in May of 2021, but Holm withdrew due to kidney issues and so the UFC just threw their hands up in the air as it was incredibly difficult to find Nunez an opponent at the time anyway and just gave her the title shot. Needless to say, no one gave her a chance, myself honestly included, so weird path or not, it turned out pretty well. Number nine, Anthony Smith. There's no actual established entry point into the UFC. Some people arrive after just a few pro fights, while others like Anthony Smith don't get there until their 28th fight. This was following a stint strike force just before they were folded into the UFC, and he actually lost his only UFC fight back then, and he was sent to the regional circuit.
1: Be gone, vile man! Be gone
0: from me! But after a few years, the UFC was already ready to give him a second chance. Thankfully, they did as he'd go on to be much more successful this time around, and despite a mixed start early on, he would hit a four fight win streak, including a win over Hector Lombard that forced people to start taking notice. But then he got stopped by Tiago Santos. No shame losing that one, but back to the drawing board. And at this point, the last thing you are thinking is that he'd be fighting for a title 13 months later. Well, that's when he moved up to light heavy and put together a statement run, finishing Rashad Evans, Shogun, Volkan Uzdemir, all back to back. And mind you, this was in a super short span of time. Basically, in the five months since Anthony Smith made his debut at 205, he'd made himself a title contender. I do think the light heavyweight division had struggled to find new contenders up to this day, and that's part of it, but you can't ask for a much better run than what he'd put together in that time. And in terms of fighting Jones, it was a pretty gutsy performance. Performance worthy of his nickname including turning down a DQ win opportunity where he was illegally need by John Jones so you have to give him a ton of credit for getting to that title shot in the first place and for how he performed as well number eight Travis Luter before he discovered the UFC Luter had been an all-state wrestler Muay Thai practitioner and then like everyone else he watched Hoist Gracie tap everyone with something called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu so then he also became a black belt under Carlos Machado Sounds like a decent base for MMA if you ask me. And it started out pretty well as a result. Just five fights in at four and one, he'd make his UFC debut against Marvin Eastman and sent him to the land of wind and ghost just 30 seconds into the second round. Not bad for a debut, but he'd end up losing his next two to Matt Lindland and Trevor Prangley, and he was already back on the regional circuit after that. But you know, these things happen in MMA, so he'd rack up a couple of wins over the next year, hoping to regain some of that momentum. That was in until the UFC announced a new season of The Ultimate Fighter called The Comeback Season. Infamous for a ton of reasons. Even more notable for him than Matt Serra is that while the winner in his bracket would get a title shot against Anderson Silva... No big deal or anything. The truth is Travis after winning this season was just 2-2 in the promotion and outside of Cote or Eastman he was nowhere near as established as even Matt Serra so that's partially why I'm talking about this fight instead. But Tuff was the savior at the time of the UFC in the Dark Ages so they needed a gimmick and they went ahead with it. Unfortunately he missed weight. Yikes. So his title shot was lost before the fight even began, and he'd lose the fight itself by a triangle as well. Number seven, Tyron Woodley. If you weren't there to watch Woodley's road to a title shot, it was all a bit, well, weird. Woodley joined the UFC in 2013 after contending for the Strike Force belt before it all folded into the UFC, and he definitely arrived with a bang, starching Jay Huron in 36 seconds, then slowing down big time with an awfully boring decision to Jake Shields, foreshadowing again for the rest of his career I suppose. Then he'd rebound against Koschek with an insane KO, which would lead him to a really weird freak win over Carlos Condit with a leg kick that caused an ACL injury, but he would get a jump in the rankings as a result. He'd go from just 11 in the rankings, all the way up to number three. So Woodley began whipping up a storm about how he deserved the next title shot and started blowing up Dana's phone, demanding one immediately. Well, awkwardly, he did not get that title shot and fought Rory McDonald instead, who beat him basically a smothering performance where he'd take the wrestler to task at his own game, so much for that title shot. Woodley rebounded quickly though, beating Danyon Kim, then Kelvin Gaslam after Kelvin Gaslam missed weight and then was scheduled to fight the former champ Johnny Hendricks, but after a horrible weight cut there, he had to pull out of the fight. Definitely had some bad luck with opponents there, but this was when Tyrone decided, nope, he's not fighting anyone else, title shot or bust. It was actually pretty controversial at the time for most fans. They didn't feel he'd done enough to make a clear case for shot. The Condit win was decent, but it was kind of a freak fight and he lost right after. Kim was only at 11 at the time and two opponents missed weight. Didn't even fight one of them. Even still, after a year and six months since his last win, holding on to that number three spot in the division, he was finally given a shot against Robbie Lawler and all those questions were dealt with pretty quickly with that instant KO. Number six, Islam Mahachev. As you've most certainly and correctly guessed, this was the inspiration for the list because it's truly unique in a ton of ways. And before I say anything else, remember we are talking about the most stacked division in the sport for basically the last 10 years. That should tell you how weird what I'm about to tell you is. He first appeared in the rankings at number 15 with a very notable win over the now well-established Armin Sarayukin in a super memorable battle. Then he beat Javi Ramos and a notable veteran in Drew Dober who was also unranked at the time but those would bump him up to 14 and 11 respectively. Then after six years in the UFC and eight wins Islam faced his first ranked opponent Tiago Moises in July of just last year which also happened to be a headlining slot. Tiago was ranked at 14 and even though Islam hadn't beaten anyone in the rankings or fought since he'd beaten Dover he conveniently climbed all the way up to nine just in time for his first main event slot. Convenient is definitely the word. But you can't fault the performance as Islam finish voices in the fourth round his rank after this number five now number five wow definitely caused an uproar with fans because beating number 14 to go to five is a crazy jump but you know habib's best friend and all that stuff he was then supposed to fight at number eight with rda in october but that fell through so he fought number six dan hooker that is a pretty good number but bad timing considering he was filling in on super short notice with less than a month and he was suddenly beaten in three minutes with a kimura that bumped him up to number four and then he was supposed to fight the number three guy benil but once again that fight fell through and instead he fought Bobby Green don't get me wrong this guy's really good he's a great veteran of the sport but he wasn't even ranked and predictably Islam finished him in the first round it's just a shame because I definitely think he's championship caliber capable of winning all these things he's super legit and I like him a lot it's just objectively rushed Number five, Tim Elliott. Over the years, the ultimate fighter has tried a myriad of strategies to get viewers and one of the most tried and true is the championship hook. For Tough 24 though, it took a different twist with champs coming over from other promotions. There was Demacio Page and Matt Schnell for LFA, Kaikar France for the bragging rights belt, no that's really a promotional name not just a saying, Pantoja from RFA, and even Brandon Moreno was there, he was the World Fighting Federation Champion, and of course recently let go from the UFC, the Titan FC Bantamweight Champion Tim Elliott. Definitely noteworthy that many of these fighters belts were not up to date, but Good enough for the gimmick, I suppose. Anyhow, Tim Elliott won to everyone's surprise, and much like Travis Luter, his reward was a title shot. Demetrius Johnson really needed a new contender, didn't he? But for Tim to get his title shot, it was still technically a super weird shot, because he was on a three-fight losing streak when he'd last fought in the UFC, and he almost won. But of course, after a rocky start, DJ took over in his usual fashion winning by decision. Number four, Habib Nurmagomedov. We all know how dominant the career of Habib turned out to be, and it's considered among the greatest ever for that reason. But it was a crazy series of events that led him to the belt in the first place. Starting on a good note was when he beat the number five ranked RDA in April 2014, but then he had to take two years off for injuries that almost made him retire. When he did come back, he had that strange fight with Daryl Horcher filling in on short notice for a certain someone that was supposed to be for a title eliminator. Of course, he killed the poor man, and despite that being his only fight in two years, they still gave him that number one slot. But to be fair, RDA was still the champion, so it was... This weird thing that still made sense to a degree. And actually, at one point, he did cash in on that title shot. He signed a contract to fight Eddie Alvarez, which Dana White confirmed himself before pulling the switcheroo with Connor at UFC 205. So instead, he mauled the shit out of Michael Johnson that night and then Edson Barboza. Solid wins all around, but how did he get to a title from here? There's almost too much to describe here, but basically Connor was out and they were just gonna try to set up a title fight and strip Connor of his belt while Tony was the interim champion. So here goes, I still can't believe this happened. Tony fucked up his knee, tripping over a cable, and that fight was off again, so they tried putting in a bunch of other people, including Max Holloway, but none of that worked out, and the last available man on the list was the number 11 ranked Ally Quinta, and that's who be beat to win his world title. Season 8's team of writers for Game of Thrones clearly wrote 223's plot. Number three, Colby Covington. For all you wanna say about Colby, there is zero doubting that he got the raw deal here. Setting aside all of his antics, and wherever you land on that spectrum of liking or disliking, the guy legit earned himself everything he's gotten in the cage but it was a really weird path after his infamous win over Damian Maya, where he was already ranked number seven and then got bumped up to number three you could have already argued a title shot any time around this point point. and sure enough he would get a form of that with the interim belt and a constant name on this list RDA to be honest this interim belt made absolutely no sense Woodley was already known to be ready by the end of the summer and Colby vs RDA took place in June that doesn't quite add up, but traditionally at least meant that he would get a title shot for an undisputed belt pretty much guaranteed, Right? Well, the only problem was that Colby had some light surgery he needed to get done after the fight, and considering the event they were targeting was only two months after he won the interim belt, it made a fair bit of sense for him to ask for some more time. Instead, Dana basically said, nope, fuck you, that's
1: fucking illegal,
0: and fast tracked Darren Till to a title shot, as he has admitted in recent years, but even after all that, he still wouldn't get his shot. Woodley would be injured through the fall and December kind of time period, and wouldn't be ready until spring next year while Colby and Dana would essentially fall into contract negotiation hell and bizarrely his interim belt would be stripped in the meantime so instead Usman would win the title over Woodley somehow Colby would fight Robbie Lawler after a year of inactivity and then finally he got his first undisputed title shot in December of 2019 a full year and a half after winning the interim belt crazy times number two Matt Sarah so remember when I talked about Travis Luter and Tim Elliott earlier well this is basically the exact same scenario but of course the results absolutely meant I would have to rank this one higher by the start of this season Sarah was still mostly known for only a couple of things but namely his UFC debut where he was spinning backfisted by Shoney Carter he would then rebound by picking up two wins in the octagon before Unfortunately, running into BJ Penn and the lightweight tournament semifinal, and then losing to his future best friend din thomas but after a couple more fights a seemingly final loss to car parisian appeared to mark the end of his ufc run and as a result he disappeared for over a full year but that's where tough four came in it's truly one of the most legendary moments in the sport as zero people gave him a chance and honestly why would have you but what matt sarah did that night is what no one else has managed on the show the greatest upset of all time in my opinion especially when you look back at it in hindsight so weird path with an even crazier ending. Number one, Tank Abbott. There was once a very magical time when Pride and Japanese MMA ruled the world while the UFC was absolutely broke and on the verge of collapsing underneath all the legal and political pressure. But when Pride began, the relationship between the two organizations was certainly less strained, far less exclusive, and athletes could basically just compete between the two freely and without issue. So when UFC 15 on October 17th of 1997 and Pride's very first event was debuting only a week prior on the 11th, the two events strangely shared a very important competitor. Dan Severn. Murray Smith was coming off of his incredible upset over Mark Coleman, so Dan Severn made a ton of sense to be the headliner against him at UFC 15. But Pride was booking a much bigger show, one that would entertain nearly about 48,000 fans, where UFC 15 drew less than a tenth of that, at only about 4,000. So Severn was willing to jump in against Kimo Leopoldo at Pride One and accept a much larger paycheck despite the risk of competing against so close. Predictably, you can guess what happened next. A, the fight sucked, honestly, and B, Severn got injured. I'm sure up until this point, you're wondering what any of this has to do with Tank Abbott. Yes, indeed, it was Tank Abbott, who was then sporting a 6-5 and five record, who had to step up, as he said, off the bar stool and straight into the fight on less than a week's notice. So it ended up being a farcical main event that took place. We're just eight minutes in. Tank was so exhausted that he literally just gave up. Between all the insane historical crossovers here, I don't think that there is another title opportunity that could have been any more strange to finish out our list.
1: This video is brought to you by Manscaped, the global leader in men's grooming and hygiene. You can get yourself the 4.0 performance package. It comes with the lawn mower, which is a waterproof trimmer with advanced skin safe technology, which is gonna reduce nicks and cuts on even the most sensitive of regions. It's super smart, it's a cordless charging system, and it has these LED lights on the front to show you how much juice you got left. Also included in the performance package, two products I never knew I needed until now. The Crop Reserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner Spray. And Manscaped really does have you covered head to toe with their new Weed Whacker Nose Trimmer. It's also wireless and it's got the same skin safe technology as the groin trimmer so you don't have to worry about tugging or cutting on those sensitive nose hairs. For a limited time you get all this plus two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. They're softer than a pony's nose. Manscaped, use the right tools for the right job. And take care of your knob
0: i'd like to give a special shout out to a few people that helped out with this video that is luke taylor you know him at cool to me underscore on twitter and then of course tom a ransom on twitter dude appreciate you for joining me and of course balian he helped us out on this one by partially writing it and then getting covid thanks buddy you can follow him on twitter at balian underscore plays then of course i'd like to thank all of you if you watch this channel be sure to comment like and subscribe those are the things that really help out this channel and keep it thriving really appreciate you guys for watching you can follow me on twitter at jason the heart we'll catch you on the next video